All right, I want you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4 and Ezekiel 2. So we're in a series called You Are Here, and we're basing it off the parable in Mark chapter 4, the sower and the seed, Mark chapter 4, and then you can put a marker at Ezekiel chapter 2. We'll flip over there later in the message. I want to remind you that the Lord uh, used a survey that we took along with 525 other churches. We took this survey, and we found out that every person that's attending church is in one of four groups of people. And I immediately thought of Mark chapter 4, and when I went through Mark 4, these four groups of people in Mark 4, I started looking at this parable differently. I used to think it talked about, you know, three people that didn't receive the Word and one that did. But it actually says that they receive the Word, and then the enemy comes and tries to steal the Word. So let me just catch you up. We're on the third week of this series, and again, we found out that there were four groups of people attending church, and I'm going to remind you what those four groups were. Right here is the cross, so there are some people that are attending church, and we're very grateful that haven't come to know the Lord yet. And I'm going to give you a quiz. This is for every campus, and you can answer out loud. Uh, I will tell you that the four o'clock Saturday service failed. <laughs> I actually put an F on the board for them, so you don't want an F, all right? So, uh, the first group, remember, two weeks ago is the group we call what? Exploring God. That's good. Exploring God, and we put the word fellowship above it, and because these people are coming to the fellowship, but they haven't come into a relationship, which is what we talked about last weekend yet, and we call this second group beginning. beginning. That got quieter. Did you notice that? <laughs> okay, beginning in God. That was just last weekend. Exploring God. They get saved. They're beginning in God. This weekend we're going to talk about close to God, and we're going, we call this discipleship. And so that's the title of the message this weekend is discipleship. And the last week are people, the last uh, group are people who are God-centered. GC also stands for Gateway Church. That's right. And we'll talk about lordship. All right. So uh, we also talked about that you make the move from group one to group two when you understand the truth of grace, that salvation is by grace alone through faith. From group two to group three, when you understand God's Word is the final authority for your life, and group three to group four, uh, when you understand giving, and that's not just giving our finances, but giving our life away. And I want to just remind you that I asked our team to put the Heart for the Kingdom cards back in your bulletin, in your worship guide. So if you haven't made a commitment to Heart for the Kingdom, this is your giving over and above your tithe uh, for one year. Uh, I'm not at all putting them back for compulsion in any way, but if you haven't yet and you want to, I want you to have that opportunity, all right? So we base this on Mark chapter 4. Now, we're talking now about the third group, people who are close to God, but at every stage, the enemy is attacking. And I, when you read how the enemy attacks in this stage of your growth in the Lord, it reminded me of boating. And the reason it did is I like to boat. You, you know, Debbie and I have had several boats, and we have one now. Uh, but when you're boating in the ocean, you have to be aware of currents and tides. You probably noticed before, maybe when you were swimming at a beach, 
and the tide was going out, you could feel that undertow, very strong undertow trying to pull you out. It's the same with the current. Uh, and I read about this guy who was a new boater, and you always, you always, when you're a boater, you always watch out for the new boaters on the lake. You can tell them pretty quickly. This guy, his wife got on the boat. He was uh, in the ocean uh, at the dock there. He wasn't, wasn't aware of currents yet. I didn't understand about him. He untied the front of the boat. He untied the back of the boat. And before he could get on the boat, the current took it out that quickly. Uh, there are times even uh, when you're docked like that, that you actually have to keep your props running and your wheel turned toward the dock to keep close to the dock so people can board the boat. The, the Coast Guard actually had to go rescue his wife because she didn't know how to drive the boat. Um, so, and then the, a discussion between the husband and the wife occurred after that. So, but the point is, as a believer, there is a current in this world, you think about it, that's trying to pull us away from God, always. And we have to keep our props turning, and this is what keeps our props turning, is God's Word is the only thing that will help us against that worldly current. So in Mark chapter 4, he talks about three groups of people. We're not going to read the whole passage because we've done that uh, in the weeks before. But look at verse 7. This is the third group. It says, and some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. And then he explains it in verses 18 and 19. He says, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. Notice they hear the word. They're attending church. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Okay, so he, he actually, actually tells us, I'm going to tell you how the thorns are going to come against you. But he describes this attack as thorns. Now, last week, we looked at some types and shadows, some symbolic and some parabolic language in the Bible that helps us understand this spiritual language that goes throughout the Bible. Okay, and we talked about how birds many times can represent Satan and his demonic forces. Jesus himself said that. The birds are there, come and steal the seed. They said, Lord, what does that mean? He said, that's Satan. That's Satan and his forces coming against you. It's important for us to understand this parable. Because if you remember, Jesus said, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? In essence, I think is what he's saying is if you don't understand that there's a meaning behind some of these words, the enemy is going to come after you and he's got a foothold on you because you don't understand that. So last week we talked about birds. I, this series has been different and that normally within about the first five minutes, I go into my first point. I'm not getting to my points until about halfway through the message and I'm doing it on purpose because I'm showing you some symbolic parabolic language in the Bible to help you to be hungry for the Word of God. So Jesus said thorns. Thorns choke the Word. So what are thorns? Well, before I can show you what thorns represent in the Bible, I need to show you another type, another symbol that will help you understand, and that's the word scorpions. What do scorpions represent? All right, we'll get to Ezekiel in a minute, but Luke 10, verse 17, 17 says, then the 70 returned with joy. These are 70 disciples Jesus sent out, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, really? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he, 
He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Here's what he's saying in that statement. I'm not impressed. The demons obey me. That, that doesn't impress me. When they crossed my dad, Satan was out just like that. That's what he's saying. But now watch what he says, verse 19. It's very important. Behold, I give you authority. I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Okay, did Jesus not hear what they said or did he respond to what they said? He responded to what they said. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject. He said, uh-huh, you have authority over serpents and scorpions. That's clear then. Serpents and scorpions represent demons. I mean, that's clear. Either they represent demons or uh, in the next elders meeting, uh, James, we, we need to talk about bringing snakes into the sanctuary. <laughs> now, by the way, we're not going to do that, okay? You'd have to be out of your mind to bring, and I know I've, there are some churches that are out of their minds, but we're not one of them. So, you know, if you're a guest, we don't do that, okay? Because we understand that Jesus is speaking in a spiritual language. So, Jesus himself calls serpents and scorpions demons. Okay, now remember, if that's what it is, if that's what they are, let's look at it somewhere else in the Bible. Remember, scorpions represent demons. Let me show you another verse about thorns, and it's used in the context of demons again, all right? Uh, Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2, God is speaking to Ezekiel, and this is what he says, verse 3. And he said to me, son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Watch carefully. Those briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Okay, well, what's he saying? He's not talking about literal thorns there, and he's not talking about literal scorpions. He's saying the children of Israel, my people, have gone away from my ways. Therefore, because they've rebelled, the enemy now has come in. And when you go prophesy, you just know you're going to be among thorns and scorpions. Okay, he's not saying literal scorpions. Ezekiel wasn't out there prophesying, saying, the Lord's, oh, well, those scorpions. He told me they'd be here. The Lord wants, oh, man, I tore my robe on a thorn. I remember God said there'd be thorns. That's not what, God wasn't teaching uh, Ezekiel to avoid thorns so he didn't tear his robe. He's talking about demonic spirits. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, why, why am I taking so much time every week to show you things like this in Scripture? Let me say it this way. I'm trying to teach you how to fish. I'm not just trying to give you fish each week. I'm trying to teach you to fish. I'm trying to get you excited about this book. So let me show you just a few other Scriptures on thorns. Now, before I do, let me explain this to you before I show you this Scripture. This is a very well-known Scripture. It's amazing how we missed the types and shadows, the symbol in this scripture. Uh, the, the Greek word for angel is angelos, 
angelos, A-N-G-E-L-O-S, so that means angelos, angel. It's in the New Testament uh, 186 times, that Greek word. Seven times it's translated messenger, but it still means angel. So, so watch, watch this and watch thorn in this context. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, this is Paul. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Now he's going to tell you what that is, comma, a messenger, angelos, angel, an angel of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted by my. Here, here's what's amazing. Theologians say, what do you think Paul's thorn was? Well, I know what it was. It was an angel of Satan because he told me that. So that's not the question what it was. The question you might want to ask is how did it manifest? So you could say some people think it was something with his eyes. Some people think it was the, the Judaizers that were coming against him. So you can go through all sorts of what, how it manifested, but there's no debate about what it was because he tells us what it was. It was an angel of Satan, and he calls it a thorn. What's an angel of Satan? It's a demonic spirit. It's a fallen angel. You do know there are good angels and bad angels, right? A third of the angels fell with Satan. So there are good angels and bad angels. See, we don't think much about the bad angels because we'll even say, uh, you know, someone will say something like this. You know, my little boy's an angel. And you're probably thinking, mm-hmm, yeah, he is. <laughs> okay. They didn't say which kind, see. <laughs> or if you keep someone's child and he backs up and they say, how was he? You can say this. He was an angel. <clears throat> okay, never mind. Right, let's get off that. Uh, okay. Here's the point. Right there in Scripture, thorn. Okay, do you realize why thorn represents demons? In Numbers, uh, I'm going to show you Scripture Numbers in a minute, in Corinthians, in, in Luke, and in Ezekiel. Let me tell you why. Because the same dude wrote the whole book. And it's a great book. But you've got to understand there are spiritual types and shadows. And when you don't understand it, you go into all this conjecture. Here's what you do when you read a word like that, when you read thorns or scorpions, you just read it through the, you look it up in a concordance and you read it everywhere it is in the Bible and the Bible will define itself. The Bible will tell you what it means. It's clear. You don't just come up with something out of there. There used to be a, a, an end time teacher that was really well known. And uh, in, in Revelation, I mean, there's a scripture that says these lo locusts are coming on the earth. And they have the same power as scorpions. Well, that tells you right there. And here's what it says. It says, they cannot harm green trees, but they can harm people who don't have the seal of God on their foreheads. Well, what does that mean? What's well, simple? Psalm 1, the man who meditates on the Word of God is like a tree planted by the water. See? It makes a whole lot more sense than what this end-time teacher said. He said that the locusts are helicopters. Helicopter, come on. Just take the word locusts and scorpions and look it up in the Bible and you'll see what it is. You'll see exactly what it is. Let me show you just another scripture on thorns. Uh, you, you, you need to remember though that the promised land does not represent heaven. Many people think that, but it doesn't because there were still enemies in the promised land. <laughs> there aren't gonna be any enemies in heaven. The promised land represents the overcoming Christian life. I mean, and, and if you drive the enemy out, then you can live in the land safely where God wants you to live, see? And let me just show you what he says here. 
Numbers 33, verse 55. If you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes, watch this, and thorns in your side. And they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Is that clear? I, I, I just, I, I, I give you one more. Judges 2, verse 3. Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you. He told them to, and they didn't, so they asked him to. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. But they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Okay, you say, well, what does that mean to us today? Remember, Israel had literal enemies. We have spiritual enemies. Here's what he's trying to tell you. If you don't drive out bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment and hate and malice and envy and jealousy and lust and pride and anger, it's going to be a thorn. It's going to become a thorn in your side. A spirit is going to start attacking you in that area if you continue to allow bitterness to stay in your life. That's what he's trying to tell us. So, Jesus tells us about these three areas where these thorns attack. And so, let's talk about them. All right, number one, the cares of this world. These are the three Jesus said, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for everything, the cares of this world. First uh, Peter 5 verse 7 says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Okay, let, let me… Uh, explain something here. There's a little saying that we have that's actually, it's a good saying, but I just heard it differently when someone said this to me a while back because God was dealing with me about casting my care on him. And I was leaving a luncheon with someone, and again, what the saying's good, I really think it is. I know the intention behind it's good, but he said to me, here's what he said. He said, take care. And I remember thinking, I don't want to take care with me. I want to cast care. I don't want to carry care. Now, I'm not saying if, you, if that's all saying, you have, I know we're saying be cautious, you know, be careful, be safe, and, and that's fine. I'm just saying I heard it differently because God was dealing with me about not carrying my care, but casting my care. That's what we're supposed to do. Do you, do you realize that we were not designed to carry burdens? You know that? I mean, God calls us sheep in the Scripture, right? Sheep. We are the sheep of his pastor. Psalm 100, verse 3. Okay, sheep are not burden-bearing animals. You've never heard someone say, uh, I'm, I'm going on an expedition. I need to rent some pack sheep. <laughs> we are not designed to carry burdens. What we're supposed to do is lay them at the feet of the shepherd. But here's the problem. We lay them but we don't leave them. This lady said to me one time, she was talking about all these cares, her children, the finances, the economy, all this stuff, all these cares that were weighing her down. And I said to her, have you uh, given these to Jesus? Here's what she said, many times. <laughs> and, and I said to her, how can you give something many times unless you take it back many times. So here, here's what we do many times. We say, Lord, I've just got this burden. It's just too heavy for me, Lord. I, oh, I'm just going to put it at your feet. I just, I just can't carry it, Lord. I just, can't, I just can't carry it anymore, God. I just give it to you. And I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to worry about it, Lord. It's yours. If anything's going to happen, you're going to do it. Because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing it anymore, Lord. I'm, I, it, no, I'm not. I'm... Well, if you're just going to sit there. <laughs> 
And Jesus said, the cares of this world will choke the word. Think about this. How many times have you been reading the Bible and you stop and you think, I don't even know what I just read because your mind was somewhere else? That's the enemy trying to keep you from receiving this book. So number one, the cares of this world. Number two, the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. Let me read you a couple of scriptures. First Timothy 6 verse 17 says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust, I want you to remember the word trust, in uncertain riches but in the living God. Don't trust in riches, trust in God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now, first thing I want to do is when it says command those who are rich, some of you thought, okay, that's good. He's talking to the rich people now. I don't have to listen to this part. Uh, you know, we, uh, a while back there were lots of articles and lots of things being said about the top 1% in America. I don't know if you know this, but if you have an income, combined family income of $48,000 or more, you're in the top 1% of the world. Of the, of the world. You're, you're a one percenter. Some of you might think, let's go. When church found out I'm one percenter. <laughs> You're one percenter. When it says command those who are rich, that's most Americans. Just, just go to some of the third world countries and see. All right, so here's what first thing he says is don't trust. Tell them not to trust in riches. Then look at verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. For those who desire, remember the word desire, to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love, remember the word love now, we've got trust, desire, and love. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Okay, here's what he's in essence told us in these three verses. Don't trust in money, don't desire money, and don't love money. Now listen, why would he tell us that? Don't trust in it, don't, don't desire it, and don't love it. Why would he tell us that? It's simple. He's not trying to speak bad against Getting, being a good worker or, or praying for your company to succeed or trying to get a promotion. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a heart issue here. And here's what he says. Don't trust in, don't desire, and don't love money. Here's the, here's the reason why. Because we're supposed to trust, desire, and love God. That's why. See, it tries to take the place of God. It, 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 if you think about it, Money will promise you everything that only God can give you. It will promise significance, identity, security, happiness, peace, joy, a better marriage, a better house. Listen, only God gives us true significance, identity, joy, love, happiness, peace. It comes from God. Money is always trying to take the place of God. That's why Jesus said you can't serve God and Mammon, he called it, which is an Aramaic word which refers to the Syrian god of riches. He said you can't serve both. It's one or the other. Uh, to, to illustrate this, I was talking to a pastor one time, and uh, he was talking about some problems he had and, you know, at the church and all this. 
And uh, he said, boy, we really need God to come through. And I just, I just kind of had this little thing. I wanted to kind of get him back on track in his thinking. And I know him real well, so he's a good friend. So he, it wasn't uh, like I just met the guy or something. And uh, we have a good relationship. So he said, we really need God to come through. And I said to him, um, would it fix this problem if someone gave you a million dollars? And he, just like this, he said, yeah. And I said, and so then you wouldn't need God, would you? You wouldn't need God then, would you? I mean, you could just see the look on his face. And of course, we prayed and we talked about it. But here's what he was saying. I either need God to come through or need someone to give us some money. That's the wrong way to think. That's called the deceitfulness of riches. See, riches will deceive you. Serve me and you'll be happy. You'll never be happy serving riches. You'll only be happy serving God. So the deceitfulness of riches. And third is the desires for other things. The desires for other things. Now, I, I like how he phrases this, other things, other things. Uh, let me show you a very famous passage here and watch the word things, all right? Matthew 6, 31 through 33, Jesus said, therefore do not worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. They, they seek these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But you, is what he's saying here, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I want you to notice what he said. He said, the people that don't know about God seek these things. But your heavenly Father knows you, you need this. Later, he says, your heavenly Father knows the things you need before you ask. Now remember, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. Here's what he's saying. Don't, don't seek things, seek God, but ask for, you can ask your father to meet your needs. You just ask him. When I was growing up, my mother had a big thing about us asking at the table and not reaching. Have you ever, did you ever have a mom like that? You know, I'd reach for the salt shaker, she'd hit my hand and she'd say, don't reach, ask. I wonder if that's the way our Father is sometimes, our Heavenly Father, when we start reaching for things, if He's saying, don't reach, just ask. Just ask. Don't seek. Don't get your focus on that. See, this word, the desires for other things, uh, is, is the Greek word, epithumia. Epithumia. The reason I'm bringing this out is it's, it's in the New Testament like 38 times. It's only translated three times uh, desire, only three times. The other times it's translated lust. The, the old King Jack actually uses the word lust, the lust for other things. Now, it's interesting, by the way, to note the times that it's translated desire in Mark 4, but it's translated desire two other times. One time, it's when Paul's talking about going to heaven. He said, I have this desire to go into heaven, but I know I need to be here with you. I need to, need to, it's more profitable for you that I stay. But I have a desire. But it's the word that is translated lust. Let me tell you why. The root of this word is passion, strong passion. Here's the other place it's used. Jesus, when he's talking about the last meal, he said, I have fervently desired to eat this meal with you. The same word. So, so I, there, there, you got to understand then, you say, well, 
Paul and Jesus, they wouldn't be talking about lust. No, they're not. They're talking about passion. Passion. See, God gave us passion. Satan tries to turn it into the lust for other things. But God wants us to be passionate about him and his kingdom. Seek God. Be passionate about God and his kingdom. Be passionate about it. Now, uh, you know when I was young, I had a difficulty with sexual lust. Um, By God's grace, confession, freedom ministry, kairos, all those sorts of things that we have here, God has delivered me from that. Uh, but a couple of years ago, let me tell you something happened, because lust may not always be sexual lust. We think about it that way, but it could be lust for other things. Uh, a few years ago, Debbie and I were sitting on a beach on vacation, and we were both sitting there, and we were reading a book, and this lady walked by, you know, in one of those little bikini things, and she walked by, and I watched her walk by. And then I looked over at Debbie, and she, she was shocked. She said, did you just watch that woman walk by? And I said to her, she had ice cream. <laughs> and she did. <laughs> and that's what I was looking at. That's when you know you're getting older, you know? So, I mean, she, she walked by, and I was watching her eat this ice cream. I said, she had ice cream. And Debbie looked, and she was turning the corner then, and she really, she saw her. She was eating ice cream. And I look back at Debbie, Debbie said, well, don't just sit there, go find out where she got it. <laughs> so when we talk about lust, you might think, I don't have a problem with that. But it could be some other things that we desire strongly when we should be passionate about God. When I was young, though, as I told you, in my 20s, I had a real struggle in this area of sexual lust. And I remember going to Pastor Olin, who was the pastor of Shady Grove, and now that's our Grand Prairie campus. And I went to Pastor Olin one time, and I said, Pastor Olin, I'm having a real problem with my thoughts again. And uh, I'm wondering if there's a book you could recommend or, you know, something. And I remember he, he, he kind of, he did, you know, if you know him, he'll do, he, when he's thinking, you know, he looked at me. And then he kind of did his arms like that, and he put his hands on my head. He said, Father, I, and I remember thinking, oh, we're praying, you know. So I didn't know. It was just that fast. He said, Father, I pray that Robert will fall passionately in love with you. And then he just turned around and walked off. And I remember thinking, no book, you know. <laughs> just, just a five-second prayer, you know. But the next morning in my quiet time, the Lord brought it back to me, and the Lord said to me, Son, passion for me drives out lust for other things. Passion for me drives out this. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us, listen, the Word can drive these things out. But He's also trying to warn us that those things can drive the Word out, can choke the Word if you don't allow the Word to do its work in you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're new here, we do this every week, and the reason that we do this is at the end of the message, I'm asking you just to close your eyes so you can have a a, a moment of reflection, I would say, with the Lord. And and I I want everyone, every campus, just to just ask yourself, ask the Lord, really. I just meant when I said yourself, just you don't have to do it out loud, 
But just in your heart, just ask the Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? Just take a moment and say, God, what are you saying to me through this message? And he, might, he may not give you everything he's trying to say to you right now, but maybe this week he will. Maybe he'll expand on it. You know, this week when you're in your quiet time or in your small group or something, maybe God will speak to you about this more. So what are you saying to me, Lord? And, and I want you to know something. We want to pray for you. At every campus, in every overflow room, we have leaders that love you, that have been trained, that want to pray with you. Every week we do this. So if you need prayer for any area, any area of your life, if you need prayer, in just a moment, we're gonna have one more worship song. During that worship song, our leaders at every campus and in all the overflow rooms, they'll come to the front. And if you need prayer for any area of your life, you just come to one of the leaders and say, I need prayer. I wanna just assure you of a couple of things. One is you don't have to be a member of Gateway Church to come for prayer. If you need prayer, you can come for chair, prayer anytime. And the other thing is that um, we love you and we want to pray for you. We want to. There'll be other people coming. You won't be the only one. But even if you were the only one, you, you ought to say, I, I want, it doesn't matter. I need prayer. My marriage, something, my finances, my health, my job, relationships. So if you need prayer for any area and if you need to give your life to God during this, you can just come to one of the leaders and tell them, I need to give my life to God or give my life back to God. So we're going to worship, and as we worship, if you need prayer, you just come forward at every campus, every overflow room, all right? Holy Spirit, I ask you to draw every person at every campus that needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen.